Well, just thinking for the younger ones, now this is Advent, right? And we are counting the Sundays in Advent. So today is, which one? The second. The second. And how many are there in Advent? Four. Four, very good. Now, some people, when they see that we are halfway through Advent already, I can tell they're getting a little anxious <laughs> because there's so much to do to get ready for Christmas. And we wonder if we're going to have time to get everything done. You will. I believe in you. <laughs> there's a lot to do. I don't know if um, you can see my to-do list. Oh, wow, yeah. It's oh, yeah. I'll, I'll read a couple of things off of there. I have to buy some presents. I have to write my Christmas cards. I have to clean my house. I've got some things to do at work yet. I have to go grocery shopping, get a tree, decorate, make cookies. I have to roast my Christmas goose. And all the things, I mean, all it's a long list. Uh, but at the bottom of my list, I said, take a nap. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Some people are getting anxious because there's so much to do. Do you have a list? Are you anxious about getting everything done between now and now? Not this year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> This year is just sort of flowing. <laughs> and this year is just sort of, here's your gift, open it. Yeah, yeah. This would be a better list to have, though. Let me see if I could show that to you. It's only got Every morning, make extra time for family. Have evening right. devotions or be ready for Christ's coming. That's easier. I it is. don't know when exactly. It's a lot easier and it's a lot better because Peter reminds us today in the second lesson that Jesus is going to come back. And quite frankly, when Jesus comes back, I don't know that Jesus is going to be all that interested in how clean my closets are or no, 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 no. I have Christmas fudge made you know, no. but what Jesus is waiting for is for us to be ready for him for when he returns. And so that's why my list is very short. We pray in the morning, we pray at night, and all during the day we do whatever we can just to watch and wait and be faithful, making time for family and loving everyone, doing all the things that Jesus would want us to do and not the things that we self-impose on ourselves to make Christmas such a hectic time that we forget what Christmas is all about. So today and every day, if we want to truly be filled with peace and love and joy, we'll take it easy on ourselves and we'll opt for the second shorter list, praying, watching, waiting, and feeling close to those around us. And that makes us feeling closer to Jesus as well.
Let's pray, gracious God, in the midst of all these things we have to do, you help us to remind us what's important. And it's mostly important for us to be ready to be waiting for Jesus coming into our lives and to love one another in the process. Please help us do that as best we can. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you. And now for the older ones, this uh, gospel reading from Mark is wonderful. It doesn't begin in the traditional sort of way. Uh, there's no angel whispering in Mary's ear. There are no shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. No magi from the east following a star. No big-eyed animals around a manger in a barn. Mark either doesn't know about these things, or he doesn't want to tell us about these things. For him, the good news of Jesus Christ begins in the wilderness in Judea, and with an old-timing, old-timer-looking prophet by the name of John, the first real prophet to come out of Israel in over 300 years. He's dressed in camel's hair and a leather belt. It's the same outfit that Elijah wore 800 years before him. His hair and his beard probably looked like they've never been cut because he took vows perhaps to do that, to live that way. And because of his diet, we think he's awfully skinny. Surely this is a statement of some kind that Mark is making. Those of us who are encountering John for the first time may think that we may not be able to fully understand and interpret why he is there doing what he's doing. But those standing around him certainly got a better impression. This man, John the Baptist, was a messenger predicted by Malachi and Isaiah, dressed like Elijah and sent by God. John was a classic prophet in every way. Maybe that's why people flocked to him. I, of course, don't quite understand that. Um, I think I would have gone out of my way not to go and see John. He sounds a lot like those corner street evangelists that wave their signs, wave their Bibles, and tell you that you're going straight to hell if you don't repent right now on the spot. And of course, these same evangelists are the only ones then who would say your repentance is valid or to know that you've succeeded in some way. And that's another reason I don't care for these street evangelists all that much. There's one big difference, though, between John the Baptist and these street corner preachers who tell us we're all going to hell. Self-appointed prophets tend to plant themselves right in your way so that you have to cross the street in order to avoid them. They get in your face and they almost dare you to ignore them. Whereas 
John planted himself in the middle of nowhere. He set up shop in the wilderness, and anyone who wanted to hear what he had to say had to go to a lot of trouble to actually find him and then listen to him. Maybe they had to borrow a neighbor's donkey. Maybe they certainly had to pack a lot of extra water because they were going out into the dry wilderness. And they took a risk by doing that because these lonely wilderness roads oftentimes had bandits on them. You have to wonder why somebody would do a thing like that, especially somebody from Jerusalem, which was where the temple was and the rabbis were and all the accumulated wisdom and the religious establishment was. If somebody really wanted to hear God, then why not stay in the city and maybe attend a couple of extra services at the temple or make an appointment with one of the chief priests? Anyone who would turn away from all of that and then set off for the wilderness looking for something else, hmm, raises some questions. There was something that the temple and the priests and religion as they knew it could not give them, so they sought John the Baptist, because apparently he had what they were looking for. He was as scary as someone from another planet, but when he spoke, it was as if he were repeating what God was saying to him right then and there in that moment, one sentence at a time. He didn't have a lot of details. He didn't give the name of the person who was coming after him, for instance. He didn't describe what he looked like, but he knew that something was about to happen, that the old world was about to end, and the new world was spinning toward him, carried in the arms of God's chosen one. It was a world that would be built out of new materials, not the rearranged stones of an old religion. The Holy Spirit had gotten all but covered up in Jerusalem with pretend piety, with temple taxes, with priestly hocus pocus. The flame was all but snuffed out under the weight of all of that foolishness. So God moved it out into the wilderness where the air was sharp and clean, out under the stars, where it was fanned by the most socially unacceptable character that anyone could imagine. Dressed in animal hair with a piece of tanned hide around his waist, his breath heavy with locusts and wild honey, John proclaimed that someone was coming, someone so spectacular that it was not enough simply to hang around and wait for him to arrive. It was time to get ready for him to arrive, to prepare the way so that when he came, he could walk right into our doors. That was the good news that started with John. He was the messenger and the message lit him up like a bonfire in the wilderness and people were drawn to him apparently not only because of who he was and what he said, but also because of what he offered them. 
a chance to come clean, to stop pretending that they were someone else than they were trying to present themselves to be. And he gave them a chance to start over again by allowing him to wash them off in the Jordan River. This baptism was sort of his own idea. Now there was always ritual washing in the Old Testament, but this was new. And there were not any rules about how this was supposed to be done. Uh, the rabbis hadn't blessed it. It was something that John offered those who came to him. And we think that it was also open to women who were not allowed in the inner precincts of the temple and well-known sinners perhaps even came out to John uh, because they could never get inside the temple. They never knew they were right with God. And this message of John not only appealed to them, but was beginning to change their lives around. John's baptism bypassed the temple and all of its rites. Setting up shop in the wilderness, he proclaimed his freedom from so-called civilization with all of its rules and requirements. And he called people to wake up, to turn around so that they would not miss the new things that God was beginning to do right before their eyes. The gospel message always begins with a messenger, whether it's an angel whispering in Mary's ear or a parent telling a child a story or a skinny prophet standing knee deep in the Jordan River. What strikes me about this messenger though, John the Baptist, is that he was nowhere near a church and those who insisted on staying inside the church never heard his message. Only those who were willing to enter the wilderness got to taste his freedom. And many of them were still there when the, sprint, when the spectacular one arrived for his own baptism, far from the civilized center of the church and the world. I reckon, I reckon that every one of us has some idea about our own wilderness and where it is and what it encompasses, as well as maybe we have a long list of all the good reasons why we shouldn't go into the wilderness. Some of us are just comfortable where we are. We don't like to be challenged or changed. We know the ropes and we know that we will be fed. Why would we want to hunt God down somewhere else when we're fine the way it is? I can't imagine, unless it is that voice crying out in the wilderness, the one you cannot quite make out yet here. But it's a voice that's coming. And if we listen for God in the church, we'll hear a message but we'll miss half of what God is saying. The good news is always beginning somewhere else in the world, somewhere maybe outside of our comfort zone, somewhere even in our own wilderness places. For those who have ears to hear and hearts to take in what they see, 
their world will change forever because God is leading us into a new time and a new place and a new way of being in Christ. Amen.